Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. Winning is the buy-in. So when you've done it at a high level and you won at a high level, you have to come in and, 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 re- and respect that. And that's, that's what it comes down to. Are you about winning or are you about self? We try to get the players that are about winning and not about self. And once you get those, those athletes in your program, winning, winning becomes the goal and they sacrifice everything to get the W. Quentin Hillsman has transformed the Syracuse University women's basketball program into a national championship contender during his 15 seasons. He has guided the Orange to unprecedented heights that include the program's first appearance in the NCAA Division I championship game, 12 consecutive postseason appearances, seven trips to the NCAA tournament, 18 all-conference selections, five All-Americans, and four WNBA draft picks. Hillsman, who recorded win number 300 with the Orange last February, is the winningest coach in program history. But off the court, his wins are just as important as his student-athletes have recorded a perfect 100% graduation success rate. Coach Q is our guest on the Q's Conversations alumni podcast. Q, it's great to have you here on the podcast. It's great to be here. My pleasure. You know, we were kind of chatting about this offline, but it's truly been a different year to lead this women's basketball program. How are you and the women holding up with everything given COVID, the testing, and just the uncertainty? Man, we're holding up fine. I think the fortunate part about where we are is I tell our players all the time and our staff, you know, where would we be in this world right now to where we're getting tested three to four times a week, um, knowing that we're, that we're um, COVID negative, and being able to do what we love. There are a lot of people who can't leave the house because they just, you know, are uncertain about their their condition. And we know we're negative. We know that anytime we step on the court that we don't have any COVID issues. And and if we do, we're getting the best care possible um, in, the, in, the, in the world. Is it hard with student athletes? That perspective sometimes doesn't come until after they graduate. Is it hard to get them to realize how fortunate and blessed they are that they can still, you know, play this game that they love? I don't, I don't, I don't think it's hard. I think the hardest part is just a, is just a social a- aspect of it because these young ladies have been here since some since June 26th or July the 7th and they can go home for Christmas. They can go home for Thanksgiving, no holidays. They can't have visitors in their, in their apartments. A lot of, a lot of cases they couldn't leave campus. So it's, it's, it's been a grind and, it, and it's been tough for them from a, from a social aspect. But as far as playing basketball and playing the games, it, it's been business as usual. Um, we, are, we have a very young team. So that's been different to have seven freshmen come in and this, and this be their freshman year, and which is, which is like no other year ever, right? And you're a freshman, you come to college and, you, and, you, and you're learning online, you're not going to classes. It's, it's, it's tough and I, I know it's tough, but they're doing a good job of fighting through it. I know a lot of the freshmen, and again, everything's different with the pandemic, but they're used to such a raucous fan base in the Dome cheering you guys on. What has it been like playing without fans in the Dome? 
it's been tough. It really has been tough. You know, it, it, these these games kind of kind of feel like scrimmages, and you and you and you're in these and you're in the dome with no fans. You know, on the other side of the arena, we used to seeing this this big grandstand with 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 fans and your family and your friends, and now you look over there and it's just a scoreboard. You know, it, it's it's definitely different. But I can tell you, um, the intensity and the will to win is no different. Well, it it really has been a testament, Coach Q, to your passion for the program that you have taken a you took over a Syracuse program. You were an assistant head coach before getting elevated to the head coaching position, and Syracuse was not in a great shape uh, when you came to the program. What was attractive about uh, the Syracuse job in the first place when you came over here from? You came from Alabama, so it wasn't like you were a local boy coming back to coming back to Syracuse. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what was most attractive about the job. I, honestly, it was Keith. Saplicki, he was a coach that brought me in as his assistant. Matt Luno, who's a guy who I coached with at Siena College on my first coaching job. And they were just good, good coaches, great guys who really wanted them to win. And honestly, once I got on campus, just for lack of a better word, just fell in love with Daryl Gross. Um, he was just so energetic and he was electric. And, and he said what he, what he, what he wanted, called it into a fruition and, you know, years later, there we were in the in the Final Four, in the championship game, competing for a national title, and, and that was that was just huge for us. It was a, a long journey, I'm sure, from a program that was you know under 500 the couple of years prior to your arrival to making seven trips to the NCAA tournament. How can you describe what it took to transform this program into a perennial contender? It took players. It really took really good players, and that was our goal just to just to go out and recruit the best players we could we could recruit and bring to our program to help us win. And we start stacking, you know, top, top 15 classes on top of each other. And you end up at some point having seven to eight great players. And that's what, and that's what it takes. It takes great, great, great players who has a will to win. What are some of your biggest pitches when you're out there trying to sell somebody, especially back in the early days, trying to sell someone on Syracuse? Uh, what were some of your selling points? Well, obviously the, the education is second to none. You know, when you talk about, you know, Newhouse, talk about Whitman, you talk about all the things that Syracuse has to offer from a from a um, educational standpoint is off the charts. And then you sell that we're going to win. You sell that we're going to stack these players on top of each other. We're going we're gonna to stack these classes on top of each other. We're going to be deep at every position. And then we have, have a chance to play the way we want to play, and we're going to win basketball games. And, and, and these players that come in, that came in year after year, they just did it. They just kept winning and we kept getting great players. And, you know, now we are where we are, a team that's that's always in the, in the national, national landscape to win a title. I know that um, we mentioned earlier, you're the winningest coach in Syracuse's history. And, you know, the job is not done. You mentioned you want to keep this program going. You got to the championship game in the 15-16 season. That season seemed like it was such... It was my first year here at Syracuse. We had all these watch parties. We've always had good watch parties for the women before their games, but we had such a diehard group of alumni that traveled to watch the game with Connecticut yeah. in the championship and the final four. What's it like having alumni be so passionate, just like you are about the program? It's great. I, I felt good that when I saw the passion behind the programs that, that we were able to get to a point to where we can say, Hey, come see us play in a championship game, right? And to, and to be able to say that to our, to our um, alums and, and to our faculty, to our staff, to our, just, just our diehard fans, that was, that, was, that was big for me. You know, I, 
my my, my whole goal is to win our win all of our games and win a and win a national championship. And we got 40, 40 minutes away from doing that. And you know, that's our goal, that's our passion, that's what we strive for every day. And I'm just really happy that we can bring a winning program to the Syracuse um, alumni and the community. I know um, that that championship game, yeah, you came 40 minutes away from the ultimate crown in Division One women's basketball. Um, it's been a couple of years removed. Your teams have still made it to the tournament. They're still making noise. What are some of the lessons you hope that some of the current student athletes learned from that trend-setting, groundbreaking team? Because really, we had never gotten to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. It wasn't just a championship. You guys kept breaking down barrier after barrier, and you came up one game short. What do you think are some of the lessons you hope the current student athletes take away from that? Just a, just a, just a sacrifice. The sacrifice that it took to get to that sacrifice, players on the team, sacrificing minutes, sacrificing points, sacrificing time off. It was just a big sacrifice on everyone. And our and our athletes really just just took the, took the challenge and said, you know, we're not gonna let this let anything stop us from getting to our to our goal. And pretty much that's what they did. They just dug their heels in and said, we're gonna get this done. And it got to a point where we started advancing through, through the tournament where they were coaching themselves. Honestly, they were just willing. Their will to win was just second to none. And they just really got it done. I've heard the word visual uh, described for your coaching style uh, when it comes to how you're trying to instill, you know, your vision, your game plan with the student athletes. Would you, would you agree with that assessment? You're a visual coach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think that's how we learn, you know, we, you know, few people walk by faith, right? They walk by sight. <laughs> so you gotta, <laughs> so you, so you gotta show them, you know how to how to get there and show them what it what it what it looks like. And that's what we did. Um, we we just we just wanted to show them what it looked like, and they took it took the bull by the horns and just, just got on the back and they went for the ride, and it was great. And that's what we do now. We just show them that we've been there, we've been in the final four, we we we've been to championship games. We know what that looks like, and and to know what that looks like and to know what it takes to get there is everything. I know a lot gets made cue of the AAU game where people care more about padding their stats and the individual versus the team. But it seems like with Syracuse, it's more about the orange versus the name on the back of the Jersey. How do you get your student athletes to buy into that concept of team above individual? Just winning, 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 winning is the buy-in. When you've done it at a high level and you won at a high level, you have to come in and, and, and respect that. And that's, that's what it comes down to. Are you about winning or are you about self? We try to get the players that are about winning and not about self. And once you get those those athletes in your program, winning winning becomes the goal and they sacrifice everything to get the W. I know we could point to, uh, you know, the 2015-16 season and the national championship game appearance. That seems like a no-brainer for a proud moment for you. What else really stands out during your tenure? Some of your favorite games, favorite moments, favorite memories? I think a lot of my favorite moments are you seeing my players going to play in the WNBA, play in Europe, and fulfill their dreams as being, being, a, being a pro athlete. And obviously graduation, we, we have a 100% graduation rate. So I've never had a kid that's, that's, that's finished their career here, hasn't gotten a degree, at least an undergraduate degree. We have players not getting, getting master's massive degrees when they leave here. So that's an that's a unbelievable achievement by our program. And, and, and you know, Ali and our academic staff are – are amazing but getting our kids through the curriculum here and getting them through a tough education. This is not an easy place to place to study. And they come here and they take on kind of a dual job of being an athlete, student athlete, 
and doing everything they can they can do to get their degree and then going to live their dreams. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the academics because it's, listen, I totally understand. When we say student athlete, we are talking about student athletes. They have to maintain their academic, academic eligibility to get to play with your team. And it's not easy juggling a full-time course load at Syracuse and the travel demands and the practices and the games and all that. Um, how, how do you try to set up your student athletes for success when it comes to juggling all of the tasks that are on their plate because it's not just like go out there and play ball you got so many more things you got to take care of well you, you first of all you got to give them give them the time and the means um, to do it and we definitely do that they they have enough time to do their academics and the means without without academic services what tommy powell's doing over there and what oliver haney's doing over there without athletes getting them through the curriculum and getting them the help they need whether it's tutoring whether it's a proctoring stuff on the road just whatever it is, our university, they just they just do it because they are committed to the to the to the education and the and the academic aspect of being a student athlete. So we we just have everything in place that they need to be successful. I love how it's not for your I mean, listen, you, we all know you want to win a championship and you want to bring that title to central New York, but you're about more than just that. You've talked about character development. You're so proud when your student athletes graduate and go on to do great things. How do you try to teach them that basketball is not just the, the end goal, but it's a vehicle which can really transform their lives and, and help them and help them achieve great things? We, we talk about balance a lot, being a good person and being a good player. And if you're not both, both of those, you're not going to you're not going to reach your goal because at some point, your at some point, your character will take over in your frustrations. So we always talk about trying to trying trying to be a good person and developing the um, the person first and then everything else falls into place. Now I'm going to attempt, I've never actually said her name uh, out loud, but I want to talk a little bit about Tiana Manakahia and what she overcame with the breast cancer diagnosis. I mean, you talk about something that's so much more than just basketball and the lessons that she was able to teach her teammates and the fact that she's out there kicking butt for your team and, and mentoring some of your younger players. What has that experience taught you about resiliency and just how strong these young women are? It really taught me about how fragile um, our success is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very fragile thing. When Tiana got diagnosed with that, you know, it's no playbook for that. <laughs> you, don't have a, you don't have a play for that. I, I, something that obviously I've never experienced and, um, and the only thing that I knew to do was to care about her as a as a person and to make sure that we can get her all the help and everything that she needed to, to beat this um situation. And she did it. She she she's just a tough kid. She she didn't have many bad days where you looked at her and said, Wow, she's really struggling, because she didn't let you see her struggle. She really did a, an amazing job of just being um positive. And she made us all positive. So she never showed the showed the bad days to us. And that was that was so good for us to be able to overcome that with her because we never saw her struggle. So if she had a bad day, we didn't know it because she never showed it. And that was just really a remarkable thing she did for us as a program because we never saw her saw her hurting. We never saw her in a bad place. We never saw her in a moment where we're like, wow, she, she's really struggling. We never experienced that. And if she's not complaining about what she's going through, I mean, that, that's that's life and death right there. Everything else 
it's between the lines. It's trying to just better yourself. And it must've been such a great feeling. What was it like seeing her step on the floor against Stony Brook this November, the first game back after sitting out that whole year? You know, it was just, it was, it was, it was humbling. It was uh, gratifying and it was just a blessing. You know, the biggest thing for Tiana is, is to be on the floor playing. And she's back playing the game that she loved. And she's back doing it at a, at a, at a, at a really solid level. You know, she's not 100% yet, but she's, but she's really fighting. And she's playing harder, harder, harder she can play to be unsuccessful. And I'm just really happy for her just to get back on the court and be able to play the game that she loves. It really is. It's inspiring. There's so many members of our alumni community who were right there with her, you know, being strong for T, trying to get her through this breast cancer diagnosis. And it's so impressive to see the way she's handled such adversity at such a young age. Now, when it comes to you and, and your coaching style and your coaching philosophy, who are some of the people that influenced you? Uh, who do you look up to and who are some of your great influences in the coaching sphere? Well, it's, it's, it's so many because I've, um, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great, great coaches. And I think, you know, it goes back to high school and college and I think that as you go through those through those ranks, I, I think my younger days as being uh, um, playing in high school, Aaron Holder was my high school coach, and he was just a he was just a straightforward dude. He was honest. He was a, he was a um, dis, disciplinarian, and and he made you do it the right way. I thought that was the beginning of my basketball um, future is with Coach Holder, and then going into college with Jay Gardner. I played for Bob Valvano in college as well, and and, and then. And I started coaching. Um, Rick Moody was amazing when I was at Alabama. And I, I really can't go any further without mentioning Gina Costelli, who's the head coach at LeMoyne right now. Then my first job was at was at Siena College. And Gina gave me a chance when I didn't, when I didn't know how to, how to be an assistant coach. And I didn't know anything about the college level. And Gina gave me my first opportunity to coach in, in, in the college ranks and and she was a really hard worker. She was a she's an excellent coach, which which is proven what she's doing. Did at Sienna. We won a MAC championship with the NCAA tournament. She's doing the same thing at Lemoyne. And it's not by accident, just by design, because that's who she is. She's a hard worker and a, and a great coach. And then obviously, as you go through those through those ranks, and you start to look at the coaches that influence you. Um, you know, Gary Blair, Texas AM, he, he's always a guy that I, I can call and talk to. And um and we chat periodically about things and he's such a um um he's a, he's a motivator and he's and he's always encouraging and he always you know he will reach out and tell me you know you know when things are going good and also it's funny when we played them and we and we beat them and he put me to the side and said you should start running this so even when we when we when I had the fortunate opportunity of winning a game against him he helped me get better and most people don't do that. When they when you beat them, they try to keep you down, and, and he didn't do that. He was he he's been very encouraging to me, and I just know that he's a he's a great coach and a great ambassador of the game. And and uh, Pokey Chapman, who's the who's the head coach for Chicago Sky, and, and she's with Indiana Fever, just just a great um, person to get basketball knowledge from. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, you know, coaching in Europe with Remy um, Dewitt, who with the national team over in the Netherlands. That's 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 been amazing. So I got so many people that's that's really poured in to my career and I've just been very fortunate. 
I know people might not know this about you, um, that you mentioned being a, a basketball you know, stand out and you've obviously been coaching Syracuse for 15 years, but you know, the sweet science of boxing was actually your first love. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the lessons you learned. Cause you, you basically trained at the place where Sugar Ray Leonard, the, the legendary fighter yeah. uh, had trained in, in Southeast DC. What was it about the sweet science of boxing that you really loved and drew you to that sport? Man, the lessons that you learned in Oakcrest boxing center when I was young was just all about toughness. And it was, and it was all about, overcoming adversity boxing is a, is, a, is a sport where you have your you have your trainer you have your corner people and they're and they're trying to educate you and tell you what to do and tell you what they see but it's so different when you're in there and you're by yourself and you have to make adjustments on the fly in the ring and I always tell people you need to get just one or two rounds of boxing to understand what it's like to have to persevere and have to fight through fatigue fight through fight through everything that you're going through. Because if you don't, it's not about the horn goes off and you kind of go and get your post game, going to go home. They can put your lights out. <laughs> you know, you can get knocked out. So you got to make the right decisions and, 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 a, and, a, and, a bad, and a bad decision can get you hurt. So I respect any combat sports, the boxing, this UFC, the MMA style fighting, just, just all that stuff is just a combat sport where, you know, I think the great Mike Tyson said it best. Everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great quote by Tyson. And it's true. I mean, you can, you can game plan, you can scheme. And then when that first fist hits your face and you got to deal yeah. with the university. Like, it's I mean, out it's... the window, right? It's out the window, right? <laughs> <laughs> How, um, when did you realize that boxing, uh, you know, you, you had a better talent for, for basketball, for the hard court than you did for boxing? It was my dad, you know, my dad was the best. Uh, I remember man, a day, my dad said, you know, you have some opportunities to play basketball and you have an opportunity man, to go to college and get a great education. He said, so today we got to make a decision, son. Either you can turn pro when you're 17 or you can go to college. And I said, I think I'll go to college, you know, because the boxing boxing is a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough life. And obviously that's, 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 that's what it deals with. Like one loss, can um, derail your whole um, career. And I first got into boxing just to be able to defend myself for self-defense. And that's kind of how I, how I really got into it. I never wanted to, to go further and to be a pro boxer or whatever. But, but what happens is, is that you get into it and you experience a little um, success and you start to have fun and you get better and you're starting to feel to where you feel like you can um, compete and you have that lust and you start watching Sugar Ray, you start watching, you know, the Pernell Whitakers, and you start watching when these lower weight class fighters who are just, who are just tremendous fighters. And you're like, man, you know, this is something that, that I think I can do. But man, it is a really, really tough life. And, and, it's, and I really admire boxers in any combat sport um, on participants because it's just, it's just a tough issue against another man. And, and the crazy part about it is that when it's all over, 90% of the time, you hug the guy and you mean it and your friends. I want to switch gears quickly to talking about adversity and respect and inspiration. I got to say, I've never played for you, but I've watched a lot of the games on TV. I want to run through a brick wall every time you give one of those fiery pregame speeches and you give great postgame speeches as well when the team is able to, to pull off the wins. Where do those words come from? How are you inspired with, uh, with your oratory skills when it comes to these speeches? 
it's just uh, you know it's funny because people say do you script these things you write what's going to say and i and i don't a lot of stuff comes to me when, when, when we're going over game plan in our in our pregame team meeting and there's just a feel it's just it's just what i feel it's from my heart it's it's what i know that I, that our players need to hear at that moment for us to have a successful game and just don't know a lot of times i'm preaching to myself you know, trying to trying to try to make sure that, that I'm focused as much as they are, and, and you know, you have this thing where you know, does it does it really motivate your players? Does it does it really hit their soul? Does it really make them play harder? I don't know if it does or not, but I know that it's the truth, and I know it's what they need to hear, and it's, and it's and it's and it's and it's what I feel. And that's keep keep being true to yourself, keep being true to who you are, and hopefully the message. I'm sure. Listen, if if it sticks with an an old alum like myself, I'm sure it sticks with your student athletes who are trying to. Mm-hmm go out there and achieve success on the court. We've made it through 26 minutes. I haven't talked about your legendary style. Uh, you got these great frames you're rocking today. You always have crisp suits. Where did that style and fashion sense come from? My dad, my dad was a guy he'd wake up every morning. He would shave, get in the shower, put on his cologne, put on his suit and tie and go to work. And that's where I got that from. And I remember when I was a young boy, my dad would be in there shaving and he gave me a razor that didn't have a razor blade in it so here's shave i'll put on shaving cream and i'm like i'm shaving myself too and and uh that was just great lessons from my dad my dad was a remarkable dude man he was a hard worker tough dude no nonsense wasn't having it from nobody because he was going to reach his goal and um it's kind of where i got all that from and my and my mom is just a person who's just she she's like kind of the opposite of us personality wise. She's just a sweetheart and but she's been so much successful, has a PhD in music, um, has written books for McGraw Hill for for text for classrooms. Um she's director of uh, music for Bowie State College and director of music for DC public schools for over 35 years. So my family was just hardworking blue collar people who really just got it done because they believed in what they did and, and they did it at a high level. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I can tell just in our conversation here, you're an amazing voice and we're so pleased to have you in the Syracuse community. I have to end my interview with this question here. You and fellow Hall of Fame basketball coach Jim Beheim both uh, get a lot of credit for running a really good 2-3 zone. Who does it better, you or Beheim? Beheim, he's the master. I got it all from him. You know, I tell people every day watching their practice is like a zone clinic. All you got to do is sit down. I remember when I first got here, I sit down and, sit up against the basket and cross my legs and just watch. And it was just the most amazing thing to see how, how he makes adjustments and how he tweaks his own against, against different schemes and, and you know, who, who, who he's playing against. And he has just been an amazing advocate for our program. You know, there, 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 there'd be some games where, you know, you can, you know, you, you know, every now and then as a coach, you may scan the arena and you'll see him up in row W watching the game, you know, <laughs> or, 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 the game will be over and it'll be the next day and you'll walk through the hallway and he'll say, you got to trap that cue. So you, know <laughs> you know, so you know that he's paying attention. You know that, that he's watching and he's like, you guys, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a proud alum and he, and he wants the best for Syracuse athletics. So he's been great for me. It's great to know that both of our basketball programs are in fantastic shape with both Hall of Famer Coach Beheim and Coach Q here. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you got back from Georgia Tech last night. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast and best of luck the rest of this year. Great. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you.
Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. Yeah.